the, the struggles and challenges that went with that, but totally societally ostracized as well, totally cut off from society. Imagine the loneliness of it. Imagine never being able to go near somebody, to be touched by somebody, the horror of living with something as horrible as this and being cast out from society, to be cancelled in that way. There's a historian called Josephus who was around at the time. He was the kind of media writer of the day, and he wrote in 100 AD in his book Contra Aponum, uh, lepers were treated as if they were dead men. Anyone who touches or lives under the same roof is regarded unclean. So they're, they're literally treated as though they are dead, and anybody who even touches them is regarded as unclean. And historically, that was the view of a person like this, this, infur- this incurable disease that would have infected societally or socially or spiritually or possibly even physically anybody you came into contact with. So the answer was to treat this man as though he was dead, just ignore him, pretend he didn't even exist. But there was something else going on in the culture at the time. Towns and cities were abuzz with a different kind of news, a news of a man, a Jew, a man from Nazareth who was performing miracles and calling himself the son of God and telling people to follow him. And when he was performing miracles, people were getting healed. And in the midst of this hopeless situation, we see Jesus enter to bring hope. And what's more, this this man, Jesus, he was here where the leper was, in the very same place, the, the person who needed healing and the person who could bring healing in the same place at exactly the same time. You can imagine this moment of desperation, the cancelled man with the incurable disease finds hope in Jesus as he sees him coming towards him. And we're told in the passage uh, Jesus fall, uh, that he sees Jesus and he fell to the ground and he begged, if you're willing, you can make me clean, literally a collapsing onto the floor. And it's here that I want to stop and offer our first application. And that's the way that the man approached Jesus. We're doing our Encounters with Jesus preaching series. And what is it, what's it look like to encounter Jesus? Well, for this man, it was a total collapse in front. If you are willing, make me clean. The man doesn't come with reasoned arguments. He doesn't come with terms and conditions. He comes with everything that he has. He bows in humility and he offers it all. Please, if you're willing, make me clean. And this is really important because when we read our Bibles, one thing becomes clear, and that's that God doesn't just want some of us. He doesn't want us here looking good on a Sunday. God cares about our whole lives, and he wants all of us devoted to him. In other words, God wants our heart, our whole heart. This man was concerned with his physical healing, but Jesus was concerned with his total healing. And the same is true for us. God wants our hearts and is concerned with our hearts and our spiritual healing as well. And by way of an example, I want to counter this with a story from the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 5, we meet another person who's got leprosy, a man called Naaman. And uh, in 2 Kings 5 verse 1, we we get told Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So here's another story of another person with leprosy. Naaman hears of this prophet in Samaria, a chap called Elisha, and we actually spoke briefly about Elisha when we were doing our last preaching series, A House for My Name. And prophets were placed in Israel to speak and to do the will of God, and Naaman and his mistress had heard that this man might be able to help miraculously cure leprosy as well. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 9. It's going to appear on the screens behind us as well, so you can read along with me. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. 
But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand on the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? These other rivers where I live, are they not better than the rivers of the Jordan? Couldn't I wash him there and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went after him and said, my, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed, should you do it? And in this story, Naaman had to learn the same lesson, that God doesn't accept our terms and conditions. God's power to heal and save isn't dependent on any conditions that are put in place by man. Only a true encounter with the living God in humility and on his terms is going to bring healing and restoration. And that was true for Naaman as well. Actually, it wasn't about Naaman coming with his pride on his terms and saying, I want to be healed, but I want it done my way. No, no, no. It gets done God's way. It took a stern telling off from his servants to talk him around and remind Naaman that it wasn't about his terms and conditions, but God's. And eventually Naaman sets aside his pride and he goes back and does things God's way and is healed. And so the first application I want to give is that God wants all of us, not just the bits that we're willing to give. So if you're here this morning and you want an encounter with Jesus, it starts with submission. It starts with letting Jesus be in control of it all. So when the man falls at Jesus' feet and says, if you're willing, make me clean, he is giving everything, laid bare. I am desperate. I have nothing left. I need you and you alone. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And in what must have been a flood of emotion, he, hear, he hears the words, I am willing, in return. And it's even better than that, because this, this man hadn't just been spoken to. He, he wasn't just somebody who was kind of ostracized from community because nobody would speak to him, but nobody would touch him. Nobody would go near him. And not only had he just been spoken to by Jesus, but we're told in the passage that Jesus also touches the man. The Greek verb here for touch is heptame, which uh, could also be translated as to take hold of. It wasn't a brief touch. He wasn't briefly touched with a finger, be healed. Actually, this would have been something more of an embrace. He would have taken hold of the man. He didn't put a hand on the shoulder, but he was taken firmly hold of. A man who hadn't been touched in years was now being touched, embraced by Jesus. What an absolute restoration for this man in that moment. I want you to cast your mind back not very long ago, maybe just a year or so ago, to um, one of those seemingly never-ending COVID lockdowns that we seem to have where we were all told that we had to keep our distance from one another. Nobody was allowed to touch. You had to be two meters away from anybody else. You couldn't touch anybody else in your household. If you touched anybody else in your household, you'd definitely get COVID. So we weren't allowed to touch. We weren't allowed to, and we had to stay away from one another. And I tell a story like this because I'm hoping you can get some sense of what it must have been like for this man, the frustration and the desperation to want to come and hug someone, but not being able to because of the restrictions that were on his life. Here's a picture of uh, the family uh, this was us stood on my mum's doorstep the day we told my mum that we were pregnant with Penny. And uh, we were right in the height of lockdown. And so that's the photo that my mum took because we were stood two metres away, waving and trying to show pictures to show that, uh, to show that we were pregnant again and going to have a baby. What a weird time it was. Like My mum's in floods of tears, finding out she's going to be a grandma again. And she's two metres down the way. And she's kind of trying to see the photos like this because we were all told that we couldn't see each other. It was this really weird moment where what should have been full of hugs and embraces and celebration and glasses of champagne instead was us kind of waving on a doorstep and trying to show photos from a distance. We told Emma's mum when she was hanging out of her bedroom window, trying to show photos like this, 
to, to show her that we were, uh, were going to have another child. We couldn't celebrate properly, and whilst those moments were fleeting for us in the grand scheme of things, and there are many occasions now where we can gather and come to church together and hug and pray and touch and more, actually, they would have been magnified a thousand times in the eye of this man in this moment, having not been touched for years, having been ostracized from society, nobody spoken to him, looked down on and scorned and separated from everyone and everything, to finally be touched and embraced. Imagine the groundswell of emotion that would have happened in that moment. So Jesus says, be clean, and immediately the leprosy leaves the man. What an encounter that leaves this man healed and restored, feeling and engaging and encountering Jesus and finding healing as a result. The man encounters Jesus, and his life is never the same again. Bible scholar Kent Hughes puts it this way, you can't overdraw the joy of this. It was like a resurrection. In fact, the rabbi said that to heal someone of leprosy was as difficult as a resurrection. It was like uh, he was dead and is back to life. This was, this was a man who was societally, socially dead, and he was being brought back to life in this moment. If having leprosy was like being dead, then this is a moment of life for the man. I also want to note here that actually Jesus didn't have to touch the man to heal him. There are many different accounts in the Bible of uh, Jesus coming and bringing healing. We actually looked at one in John 5 just a couple of weeks ago when uh, Jesus had an encounter with a disabled man waiting for healing at a healing pool. And he was healed upon Jesus' instructions that he should get up, pick up his mat, and walk. Actually, we're not told in that account that Jesus picked him up or touched him. He just said, get up and walk, and he was healed. There was no touching required. So it's not that Jesus had to touch the man for him to be healed here, but he chose to touch the man in this moment. Remember our historian Josephus telling us that even being in the presence of a person with leprosy could make you unclean. Touching somebody would certainly then make you unclean if being in their presence would make you unclean. And earlier in uh, our Bibles, in Leviticus 13, Jews were actually taught not to touch or to come into contact with somebody who had an infectious skin disease, and Jesus would have been well aware of this. So this is a totally counter-cultural, counter-cancel cultural, if you will, act. Jesus purposefully touches this man. He chose to do so. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, Jesus brings cleansing to the man and makes him clean instead. This is the cleansing work of Jesus. He doesn't become unclean by touching the man, but the man is washed clean by the power of Jesus in this moment. It's this incredible encounter with Jesus, and it's an amazing picture of how, we can, uh, have, how an encounter with Jesus can leave us clean as well. What we're to see in this picture of Jesus' healing and restoring is what he does through his work on the cross for our spiritual healing as well. Because Jesus came to fulfill scripture. The Son of God becomes man and lives a perfect life before dying on the cross, taking on the sins of the world, all the things that you and I have done wrong, the stuff that makes us unclean in God's eyes. Jesus took it upon himself, and in return, we get his righteousness. We get seen as clean through God's eyes instead. That's the, the message of the gospel. That's the picture of healing that we see through this man, and it's done on a worldwide scale through Jesus on the cross. Romans 6 puts it beautifully. Romans 6, starting in verse 5, says, that if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What Jesus did on the cross was to take the stench of our wrongdoing, the leprosy of sin, if you will, and deal with it once and for all, as permanently as it was dealt with on this man's skin, so that we might be seen as clean. This man walked up to an encounter with Jesus, infectious and possibly missing body parts and looking disfigured, and he walked away totally clean. And Jesus does the same for our spiritual healing through his sacrifice on the cross. That's absolutely amazing. And if you're just learning about what it means to have a relationship with God, then belief in what Jesus has done for you can give you that same freedom and spiritual healing that's being spoken about in our text this morning as well. So back to our story then and what happens next, because the man gets healed. And you'd imagine uh, that at that point, the leprosy's gone. He's totally kind of shocked and in awe and the emotion's running high because he's just been touched for the first time in years. And there's all this kind of emotion running through him. And you'd imagine he's about ready to shout it from the rooftops, to celebrate, to pop the corks and to tell everyone, look, look, I'm clean. It would be this amazing moment of celebration. But actually, the first thing he gets told instead is, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone, but show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices instead. So what's that about? So to understand this, we actually need to go back in our Bibles a little bit to Leviticus, and specifically Leviticus 14. Um, The Bible is split up into two big portions. You've got the Old Testament, which is everything before Jesus, and then the New Testament, which is everything after Jesus. And so when we say we're going to go back in our Bibles, we mean going back into the Old Testament, going back to before Jesus. And in the Old Testament there, there were a number of different laws that were given uh, for the, the people of God to follow. And the Israelites were told about sacrifices that they needed to give through priests as a worship to God. And there were these sacrifices for worship and sacrifices for sin. And you'd go to the tabernacle, which is a little bit like going to the church for you and I. It was a tent where God lived with his people. And a priest would help you to give these sacrifices so that you could worship God. And there were lots and lots of rules about it. And Leviticus 14 gives some of these rules, specifically rules relating to what to do when you encounter somebody who's got a skin disease. So when Jesus says, go to the temple and do what Moses told you to do, he's effectively talking about this bit of the Bible. This is a way for somebody who was ostracized from society, a cancelled person because of their infectious skin, to be uncancelled and brought back into society. If you had leprosy or a skin disease, you wouldn't have been able to go anywhere near the temple. You wouldn't have been able to worship or offer sacrifices or be with people. And so when this man received healing, it wasn't just a restoration of his body, it wasn't just a physical restoration, but a restoration to society, a restoration to be able to worship God, a restoration to be able to interact with people, a restoration to be able to go to the temple for the first time. And Leviticus 14 gave a number of steps that needed to be followed, including blood sacrifices and ceremonial washing, as well as getting checked over to make sure that this skin disease had gone. And There's an example here that I'll read very quickly in Leviticus 14 just to give you a little bit of an example. It said, on the eighth day, they must bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, without defect, and uh, three-tenths of an ephah of finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one one log of oil, and the priest who announces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed for the offering to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and on and on and on and on it goes. And in the Old Testament, that was the way for you to be seen as clean again. And what Jesus does in this moment is he does this miraculous 
uh, cleansing of this person. And so when he's told to go to the temple, he's told to go to the temple because he, he's, he's told to go to effectively fulfill this, these commands that were given to make sure that actually it, it wasn't just being seen as, as clean because Jesus said so. He was being seen as clean because it was confirmed. It was confirmed by a priest. He was being brought back into society in this moment. And offerings could be given, especially once the man had the disease. He wouldn't have been able to give offerings. He wouldn't have been able to give worship. So this was a fresh start, a chance to give offerings, to be seen as clean uh, by society and welcomed back in. So this man was healed of his physical ailments, but by going to the temple, he was also being restored to society. He was being restored to worship as well. To be able to go to the temple and engage with society to give offerings and worship to God. And this man in this moment is totally restored, physically restored. He is spiritually restored. He is emotionally restored. And he is culturally restored. An encounter with Jesus for this man has got life-changing, eternity-changing ramifications. Jesus is in the business of changing lives and changing futures. And that's what's going on in our story with this man, and that's true for us as well. By believing in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we enter into a relationship with Jesus, and that relationship can start for you today, and it lasts for eternity. For those who believe in Jesus, our lives are changed because we've got access to our Father in heaven, to talk to him, to ask for help, and to live our lives with him and for him. And it changes our eternity because belief in what Jesus has done for us, cleansing us and making us clean, we've got an assurance that our final destination has changed. We've got an eternity of worship with God waiting for us. And that's what Jesus has done for us. We don't perish in our own sin, but we've got eternal life through Jesus' righteousness forever. So this man is totally, completely restored, not just physically, but societally and emotionally and restored to worship. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. And it's amazing that we can read accounts of healing and Jesus coming and bring healing in our Bibles. And I want to take a quick moment to address the subject of healing for us today as well, because we believe at Gateway Church that God can come and God can come and heal today. And we've got testimony of that. And we heard from the youth at New Day of somebody who gave testimony that their back was totally healed even this week. And that's absolutely amazing. And we believe that God can and does do that through uh, prayer and through his power. But there are also many in this room, and I include myself in this, who have been prayed for lots and lots of times and healing hasn't come. And so I want to acknowledge that for some of us, when we get to passages like this, it can be a little bit hard because you can open your Bible and you can see this miraculous moment of Jesus healing someone and you can think, well, why not me? What's, what's so special about this guy? It can get us thinking a little bit about our own pain and why God hasn't brought healing to us. As I've shared before, I find myself in a place of ongoing and fairly persistent pain and have done for about five years now. And I've been prayed for and I've prayed myself and I've had faith and yet still I stand here and the pain uh, is still happening. And I share this because in spite of my lack of healing, I believe that God is still a good God and he wants the best for me. So when we read passages like this and we get there and we see these miraculous healings and we think, well, why not me? We can ask, well, why not? Why, why hasn't that happened? And actually, in truth, I'm not sure I have 100% of the answer, but I do believe that if God isn't bringing about physical healing, then he must be doing something bigger in our lives than our physical healing would bring about. So God, through Jesus, brings us restoration to him, and that happens every time. 
and he helps us to be more like Jesus, and he brings us into relationship with him. And if my healing isn't coming, I still want to trust that Jesus is working in my heart to do a greater work in me than my healing would otherwise bring about. And I want you to hold on to that as well, even when it's hard, even when we're sat and we're in pain and we're wondering why not us. Actually, that doesn't mean God isn't good or God isn't loving, but actually God might be about something bigger than what we can see. He's working in your life, but not on my terms and not on your terms, but on his own terms. And actually, the ultimate goal in this passage that we're reading today for the man, the, his, the ultimate goal for this man wasn't for his physical healing, but it was for his heart and life transformation. That was the ultimate goal for this man in this story. And actually, that is the ultimate goal for us this morning as well. It's total heart and life transformation. And sometimes that means physical healing, and sometimes that doesn't. And I'm afraid I don't know why uh, it is the case sometimes and not others. But if you're like me, I hope it's given you assurance that lack of healing doesn't mean lack of love. And that you can hope with me while we wait for healing that God's still working in our lives and in our hearts in other ways to bring about a fuller restoration than just physical healing. So before I close, I want to draw our attention to the final verses in this morning's passage. Because as I was preparing, I noticed this kind of quite weird phrase right at the end. So you hear this amazing moment, this crescendo of a story in the Bible where this man gets brought through this miraculous moment of healing. His skin physically changes and becomes restored. And then we get to the end, and in verse 16 it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And we read this amazing encounter of healing and get to the final verse and think, well, what's that doing there then? If we saw healing take place this morning, which actually we can pray for healing later, and I hope we will, we're going to be, want to be ready to celebrate that, right? We're not going to want to withdraw immediately. But that's what goes on here. And it's actually something that Jesus does a lot. And when you read through Scripture, you'll often find Jesus withdrawing to pray. Before Jesus feeds the 5,000, he has a gathered crowd who are following him around. And we're told in Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus is killed on the cross, in Matthew 26, verse 36, we're told, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here, I'm going to go over there and pray. And it's a regular pattern in Jesus' life. He takes time often to withdraw and to be with his Father, to pray and to be with God. And I think as we go through our Encounters with Jesus series over the summer, there's a really important point here for us to learn as well. Firstly, we need to see that Jesus isn't a magic man. He didn't come to earth to perform big miracles and magic tricks. He wasn't about the big spectacles, but about going about his father's business to bring the kingdom of God to hearts. And the only way that he can do that is to stay in tune with his father. I think it's also important because encountering Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross brings us into relationship with God. And that's a relationship that needs cultivation. It's a little bit like when you bring a baby home from the hospital for the first time. From the moment that baby is born, you start a lifelong journey of having to get to know this person better. You have to know their quirks and understand them, what they like, what they don't, how they misbehave, what their character's like. But you need to build a relationship and love and trust with that baby. And similarly, our relationship with God needs work. From that moment where we first believe, actually that needs cultivating. We get to know God better, understand his character more, deepen in relationship and understand him more and more. And Christians, uh, Christianity is all about having a relationship with God daily and working on that relationship to get to know God better, to know his will for our lives and to follow him and to read scripture and to pray. And we don't just say that because it sounds good or because it makes us look good, but because we want to cultivate that relationship that we've got with God. And that doesn't get cultivated just on a Sunday morning, but in those quiet places. 
When we see how often Jesus withdraws in Scripture to be with his Father, it should be an indication for us as to how we should live our lives too. How could you or I need to do it less than Jesus did after all? Jesus came to earth to point us towards his Father so that he could become our Father too. Jesus came to change lives by restoring relationship, cleansing us from the sin that infects so that we can have access to the Father now and forever. And we get the privilege to be able to do that every day. So in response this morning, if you want an encounter with Jesus, and it's my hope that we all do this morning, then we need to submit ourselves to Jesus totally. Not just the bits that we're willing to give over, but to give everything in humility. To say, here's my life. I am willing to give you everything because you gave everything for me. Then after this morning when we leave, it's our responsibility to go and do it, to put it into action, to commune with God daily, to cultivate that relationship with him in quiet places, to humbly come to Jesus, not on our terms, but on his, and to let him work in our lives. So let's respond in humility. Jesus is the true example of listening to the Father, doing the will of the Father, and going where God wanted him to go. And let's be ready to listen and ready to do the same. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, the same invitation is true for you. And I truly do believe that Jesus is in the business of changing lives and changing futures. And your life and your future can be changed this morning. So my question to you is, do you need to submit to Jesus for the first time this morning? I'd actually really love to help to get you to know Jesus a little bit better, to enter into that relationship that will take you on an adventure of faith that lasts an eternity. Jesus wants us to be restored And that means being totally restored, transformed heart and soul, and in a right relationship with God, with the leprosy of sin dealt with by him on the cross. With restoration comes healing, and as for the man in our story, that actually might mean physical healing for some here this morning as well, and I would also really love to pray for that. So why don't we stand, I'll pray for us, and then we'll start singing, and then we'll be listening for what God wants to do with us next. Lord, I want to thank you that you are in the business of changing and transforming hearts and lives. I thank you, Lord, that we see it in the man in this story who comes to you humbly and is totally changed and transformed, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally and societally and culturally, and that you are in the business of changing lives. Thank you that we can come and worship you and give you glory. And what's more, because of what Jesus has done, have relationship with you daily. What a privilege, how special it is that our Father in heaven would love us so much, so much, that we can be in relationship with him every day. Lord, I want to pray that as we come back into worship, we'd approach you humbly. That your will would be done in our hearts, in our lives, in the rest of this meeting. Lord, I pray you'd bring healing where healing needs to be brought. That you'd highlight sin where it needs to be highlighted. And that you'd bring us closer in relationship with you. And that our lives would continue to be daily transformed by your power. In your name I pray. Amen.